0: take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As Tony said, we're continuing in a series uh, that, is, uh, that was launched out of Acts chapter 2. It's called Life Together. Uh, there at the end of Acts chapter 2 in verses 42 through 47, we see the first church gathering together regularly And doing a number of things. And we, uh, as Tony said, there are two ordinances that Jesus gave, two practices that Jesus uh, instructed us to to do in order to physically symbolize the gospel. One of those is baptism. We talked last week from Romans 6 about how those of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So we, ha- we have that ordinance of baptism that is a picture of the gospel for those entering into the community of believers and the second ordinance is the Lord's Supper and uh, after uh, goodness five months uh, we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper together uh, for the first time since uh, since the beginning of quarantine and uh, it is a privilege that we get to do that today because it is a way for us to portray the gospel as the community. Of faith. Um, And so with that, uh, I hope you found 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read and focus our attention in the sermon today on really the longest and and most thorough treatment of the Lord's Supper in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17, and then we'll read to the end of the chapter. Uh, Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So for eight weeks, we were unable to gather as a church. During those eight weeks, we were longing, itching to get back together. There are churches even now that are still unable to gather. They're waiting, they're longing for the opportunity to to get back together as a church. And we want that because it's a good thing to gather. God meant for the church to gather together. But what if, when we got back together as a church, it wasn't for the better, but it was for the worse? What if we got together as a church and we took some bread and a cup, but Jesus looked at us and he says, oh, that, that doesn't look like my body. That's not my supper. That's exactly what we see going on in the church at Corinth. And the title of my sermon this morning is this, when is the supper the Lord's? When is the supper the Lord's? The Lord's. As Paul said there in verse 20, that when they came together, it was not the Lord's supper that they ate. They, they were eating, they were eating bread, they were taking a cup, but it wasn't the Lord's supper. And actually, what Paul says here right from the get go in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that the Corinthians actually would have honored God more if they had stayed at home instead of coming to church. What we need to recognize from our passage today is that Jesus did not give the Lord's Supper just to be a religious ritual, as if if you went through the motions, you could check off the box, you did it. It's the Lord's Supper. Jesus did not give the Lord's Supper to be a religious ritual. He gave the Lord's Supper to reflect reality. He gave it to be a picture of the gospel. As not only the elements portray the gospel, but the people eating them, drinking them, portray the gospel. If we don't reflect the gospel as a church, then our taking of the Lord's Supper is just an empty ritual. But, if we as a church experience and live out the transformation of the gospel, the Lord's Supper is then an amplification of our proclamation of the gospel. Here's the main thing that I want us to see in this text today, and I think it's the answer to the question, when is the supper the Lord's? The supper is the Lord's when the body reflects the gospel. The supper is the Lord's when the body reflects the gospel. We're going to look at this passage in two sections. First, in verses 17 through 26, we're going to see gospel contradiction And then in verses 27 to 34, we're going to look at body examination. Gospel contradiction, body examination. So first of all, gospel contradiction. Paul has been addressing a number of subjects just at the beginning of chapter 11. He addresses one topic, and he says to the Corinthians, Now I commend you in this subject. He's praising them. But when he gets to this subject in verse 17, he says, I can't commend you because you are actually gathering together and making things worse, not better by your gathering together as a church. Well, what is it? Why is it that they're coming together is is, is worse than if they had just stayed at home? The issue is divisions. There were divisions within their church. Now, division is not necessarily a problem. Look at verse 19. And uh, kind of the end of 18, Paul says, And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's a kind of division that is necessary in a church. Christians are to be distinct from the world. We're to be separate. So there is a necessary division between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. And in a, any group of people who profess to be, to be believers, there will necessarily be some who are genuine believers and then some who are not genuine believers. And over time, as some experience tribulation and fall away, or some given to the cares of the world as a Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, the parable of the soils. Over time, those who are genuine stand out. And those who are not genuine, uh, then there's a distinction between those two groups of people. Over time, genuine believers are revealed in a group of people professing to be Christians. So there's a necessary division. We're supposed to be different than the world. It's natural, but that's not the kind of division that the Corinthians were experiencing. The division that the Corinthians were experiencing in their congregation, at the root of it, the problem was they were not distinct enough from the world. So there's the right kind of division of being distinct from the world, but their problem is they had a division because they were not distinct enough from the world. They were conforming, as uh, among their congregation, they were conforming to worldly divisions, specifically Divisions between socioeconomic classes. The wealthy in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, were coming together and they were overindulging themselves. And one of the things we need to understand is that the early church, when they practiced the Lord's Supper, the, the specific taking of the bread and the cup, it was actually part of a, a larger fellowship meal that they shared together. Uh, and so the, these christians would come together and those who were wealthy were overindulging themselves they were eating they were gorging themselves they were getting drunk even but then the those who uh, were poor were not even there was nothing left for them to eat there was nothing left for them to drink they had to go without because these wealthy uh, folks in the congregation were overindulging themselves This was a division that existed in their culture and their society between the haves and the have-nots, between the rich elite and the poor lower class, and when they came into the church, there was no distinction between how the world lived and how the church lived. And what we need to recognize about this division that existed within the church, and this uh, specifically between these, these two classes, this was not... Active, conscious discrimination. It was passive, desensitized conformity. These Christians were living like the world Monday through Saturday, and so they came into the world and they didn't think anything of it when they acted like the world on Sunday. They were discriminating with the, with the world all the rest of the week, so they didn't even think about it on Sunday. They were gorging themselves. They were eating for themselves, not sharing, not welcoming others. They just let the world shape them. They conformed to the world. And when you would look inside the church in Corinth, what you would see is the same kind of worldly divisions that exist outside of the church. Instead of what you should see, a group of people who is divided from the world and distinctly holy, loving, gracious. So Paul rebukes these Christians in Corinth because they stripped the supper of its meaning by their behavior. They didn't reflect the gospel and therefore it was not the Lord's Supper that they were eating. Paul rebukes them. He and then he grounds his rebuke, this evaluation of them, that he says, "I'm not going to commend you." He grounds it in the words that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. So he says, "I don't commend you because of your divisions, because you're you're not reflecting the gospel. You're not the supper that you're eating is not the Lord's." For And then he goes on to talk about, to remind them of what Jesus said the night that he was betrayed. Look again at verses 23 through 25. So I don't commend you for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The wealthy Christians in Corinth were putting themselves before others at a meal that was given to symbolize the greatest act of self-sacrificial love the world had ever seen. They were contradicting the gospel. They were putting themselves first at a meal that took place on the night Jesus was betrayed. A meal that was instituted by the God-man who took bread and he took a cup and he served the man who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. They were putting themselves first at a meal that symbolized Jesus sacrificing his body, laying it down for others. At that meal, they were putting themselves before others. They were dividing themselves at a meal in which there was a cup of the new covenant. A new covenant that did away with old distinctions. A new covenant in which there is no longer Jew or Greek. Or male or female. Or rich or poor. Or anything else. We are all one in Christ. And yet at that meal, they were divided in the way the world divides. And then look at verse 26. Paul comments on Jesus' words. And he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a proclamation of the good news of the gospel. It's meant to be a proclamation of the Lord's death. But what the Corinthians were proclaiming as they came to the table with division and self centered hearts, they were proclaiming to the world we're just like you. They were proclaiming this gospel has made no difference in our lives. The message of the meal was drowned out by the message of their lives. So consider for a moment, in what ways do we reflect the divisions of the world more than the difference that the gospel has made in our lives? Let me ask that again. In what ways do we reflect the divisions of the world more than the difference that the gospel has made in our hearts? What is your identity shaped by? Is it shaped by a label? Is it shaped by a status? Is it shaped by a tribe? Do you find your identity by describing yourself as not being like someone else who's of a different label, a different status, a different tribe? You know, it seems like every day uh, someone, it's almost becoming a cliche in, the, in this time uh, to hear people comment on the fact that, oh, you know, our country is so divided right now, so divided right now. We're in a divided age. We are. And if we're not careful we can get sucked in and be distinct from another worldly tribe and be a part of a worldly tribe and in so doing, look no different than the world. But if we want the supper to be the Lord's, then we must look different from the world. By portraying the unity of the gospel. If we want the supper to be the Lord's, then we must be different from the world by reflecting the sacrificial love of Jesus that he showed us at the cross. By putting others first, by sacrificing our worldly preferences for the sake of the unity of the gospel. What unites Christians together is not a worldly tribe. It's not a worldly group or a worldly set of um, ideologies. What unites the church together is the gospel of Jesus Christ. People from all different backgrounds, all different classes, all different political affiliations, all different countries, all different times, who trust And the gospel of Jesus Christ, are united by the cross of Jesus. And we are distinct from the world when we are united in a way that our divided world never could be. As we we depend on Jesus' death, and as his grace transforms our hearts into gospel-reflecting people, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we've seen the Corinthians gospel contradiction. Now let's go on to body examination. To contradict the gospel at the table is to sin against the cross of Jesus, Paul says in verse 27. To be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So, what should we do then? Verse 28, examine. Let a person examine himself then. And so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we approach the table as Christians, Paul calls us to examine our hearts am i contradicting the gospel by the way that i'm living but it's not just an individual examination that he's calling for here look at verse 29 for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself discern the body paul says well so what, what, what does the word body mean there? Is he talking about uh, the bread that Jesus said, this is my body? He's talking about the church, the, the body of believers? Well, I actually don't think it's either one of those. I think it's both. And I'll show you why. If you flip back to chapter 10 and verses 16 and 17, Paul mentions the Lord's Supper kind of in passing back in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. But when he does so, He describes it as a unifying act. In fact, he defines the eating of the bread, which symbolizes Jesus' body, as something that unifies the church, the body of believers. So look at verses 16 and 17 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. So because we all partake of the one bread, the one body of Christ that was broken for us, there's one way to God, and it's through the death of of Jesus because we all partake of that one bread the body of Christ we who are many individuals are one body Jesus Paul says in Ephesians 2 broke down the division the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh in his body. We can be united as a body of believers because Jesus, through his death, through his body and his sacrifice of his flesh, broke down that which once divided us. The worldly divisions that we are no longer to be conformed to, those things were broken down by Jesus at the cross. Or in other words, the body of Christ was broken so that the body of Christ would not be broken. So as we approach the Lord's table, not only should I examine my own heart and ask, am I individually contradicting the gospel? But we as a church need to look at our body. We need to discern the body and ask, are we contradicting the gospel? By our relationships with one another, Is there division between us that doesn't reflect the fact that Jesus fully paid to eliminate division at the cross? Do we have division between brothers and sisters in our body that doesn't reflect and rather contradicts the gospel? We're to examine ourselves before we partake of the Lord's table. We are to discern the body. And if we don't, Paul says "Then we should expect judgment. Look at verses 30 and 31. He says back in 29 that the one who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged or discerned ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So among the church in Corinth, there had been people who had gotten sick. There had been people who had died. And I can take it from Paul's explanation here that they probably were unaware of why their fellow believers had gotten sick. They, they probably didn't think anything unusual was happening. But what he says here is that those things that had been happening among you, that was actually the judgment of God. Because those people were coming to the table without discerning the body they were eating of the lord's supper in an unworthy manner as verse 27 says but what i need to recognize here is that this judgment that they had experienced the judgment that paul was warning about we need to be very clear here that this is fatherly discipline that he's talking about here it's fatherly discipline it is not wrath Punishing sin. It's fatherly discipline. Uh, one of the indicators of that is even that word that's translated died. Literally, it means fallen asleep. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you've probably come across that before. It's a word that, is a, uh, that literally means fallen asleep and it's figuratively often used to describe those who died. But it's a word that throughout the New Testament is only ever used of Christians who die in the Lord and then who will be resurrected at the last day. And so what, what Paul has in view here is not final, eternal judgment of damnation against sin. And what he has in mind here is fatherly discipline. If we discern the body, there's no need for discipline. Or as verse 31 puts it, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we discerned, we would not be disciplined. So as we see this fatherly discipline, uh, it, does it maybe it strikes you as harsh? I mean, to make someone sick, to to actually in someone's life, it, is that is that harsh? No. Because the alternative, according to Paul, is condemnation. The alternative. To God's fatherly discipline is condemnation. Look at verse 32. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What we see here that's reflected in other passages of Scripture is that God disciplines those whom He loves. The reason why he brought judgment on these people is because he wants them he wants to protect them from condemnation. God is committed to never losing his own. He has committed his divine power to keeping those of us who are in Christ. He has committed his steadfast love on us to keep us from falling away. He will do whatever it takes. He will even take us home if it means that it would spare us from condemnation. That's how dedicated God is to keeping us, to not letting us be condemned along with the rest of the world. So This is is severe, but it is not harsh. This, what we're seeing here, is mercy from God that he would discipline his children that they may not be condemned along with the world. So we have a -a two-and-a-half-year-old who uh, is growing quite nicely into her sin nature. And uh, she's always had a sin nature. Um, but uh, we didn't really see it for a while, and I remember it was maybe, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. Um, in fact, my, my wife is uh, watching the live stream right now, and, or she might not be because Salem might be <laughs> leaning into her sin nature right now. Who knows? But um, about a year, year and a half old, we started seeing this sin nature come up, and so much of our attitude towards Selah uh, for, for the first year of her life was, oh, she's just a baby. Oh, she's just a baby. Oh, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's innocent. And when we started seeing that she was actually willfully disobeying, choosing to be selfish, putting herself above others, it, we, we started to see this and we were like, oh, oh what, uh, we got to do, do something about that. Wait a second. That, she, she meant to do that. And so, um, you know, we, the, the Bible uh, uh, teaches the importance of using what, you know, what it refers to as the rod, using um, physical uh, punishment in order to teach, uh, in order to uh, discipline children. Uh, it was something that Alyssa's parents uh, faithfully used. something that my parents faithfully used. Um, spanking uh, in in terms of discipline, and uh, we knew that was something we were going to do. But when it came time to actually have to do it, we we're like, wait, wait, wait a second, I don't. No, oh, she she didn't mean it. Like, I don't, I'm not I'm not actually going to do that. and I remember there was one moment with Sela where I said, you know, Sela, if you if you do that, you're going to get a spanking. And then she did it, and I was like, oh, oh no, she called my bluff. <laughs> like, I don't want, I don't want to spank my little girl. Like, it it, it causes pain. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. But then her disobedience started to, well, we started to notice that you know when she would disobey, if, uh, if we told her, hey, don't grab that knife, all of a sudden disobedience wasn't just, oh, she's a cute little baby who doesn't know any better. All of a sudden disobedience was going to cause her harm when disobedience became standing and jumping on the couch instead of sitting on the couch, all of a sudden, she, her disobedience was bringing her into danger of serious harm. And we started to see the importance of discipline because what we learned was that a little pain now can teach her to avoid a lot of pain later. And what we see in our God is the perfect Father who, yes, disciplines, sometimes in a way that is severe, but never harsh, in a way that is merciful, in a way that wants to protect His children from condemnation. So Paul tells the Corinthians in verses 33 and 34, Here's now how you should respond. Having examined yourself, repent of the ways that you're contradicting the gospel and reflect the gospel. When you come together, wait for one another, serve one another, prefer one another. If someone is hungry, let let them eat at home. Don't come to the fellowship meal to get your. Fill of food. No, do that at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, so that everyone has their fair share of the meal. In other words, having examined yourself, having discerned the body and repented of your sin, come together and reflect the gospel at the meal that is meant to reflect the gospel. Wait, share, and experience the unity that the cross brings, the equality around the table of the Lord, be a body that reflects the gospel, and you will be a body that is eating the supper that is the Lord's, Paul says. So as we come to the table this morning, I believe Paul's instructions to us are very clear. First of all, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Ask, am I... Contradicting the gospel. This gospel that's made this difference in my life, uh, the gospel that showed me grace, the gospel that brought me up out of the lowest place possible, that exalted the lowest person like me, the gospel that united me to my brothers and sisters, the gospel that forgave me 70 times 7. Am I contradicting the gospel by my behavior? By my arrogance, by my lack of forgiveness, by my lack of kindness, am I contradicting the gospel? And then we also must discern the body. Are we contradicting the gospel because of broken relationships within our church? As we come to the table, are we going to come united or are we going to come divided? We do not want to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But here's the key. What we need to understand from this passage is that the unworthy person, so he says in verse 27, whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be unworthy. But here's what we got to understand. The unworthy person is not the person who examines himself and is convicted of sin. The unworthy person is the one who cavalierly neglects to examine himself and comes to the table in unrepentant sin. The table is for those who are deeply Aware of their sin. The table is for those who examine themselves and see their sinfulness and are convicted by the Holy Spirit and want to repent and want to fall on the mercy of God. We have in the gospel an upside-down gospel. The unworthy person is the one who assumes he is worthy and therefore doesn't examine himself. The one who is eating in a worthy fashion recognizes his unworthiness and falls on the mercy that Jesus purchased through his broken body and his shed blood. So if you are unwilling to examine yourself, if you're unwilling to consider that you might be at fault, don't come to the table. As you do, come to the table refusing to examine yourself, refusing to admit that you might be in the wrong, you are preaching a false gospel of self-reliance. The gospel is not, I'm good. The gospel is, I'm bad and Jesus is good and I desperately need him. And so if your attitude is, I don't need to examine myself, I'm good, please don't come to the table. Doing so would be preaching a false gospel. If you are unwilling to reconcile with someone, don't come to the table. Doing so would preach a false gospel of division and worldliness. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He did it in the gospel. That's reality. And so to come to the table with division is to contradict the finished work of Jesus. If you examine yourself and you see sin, praise God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Repent and feast on the grace of God through the cross of Jesus. If you discern the body and you see broken relationships, reconcile. Before you come to the table, reconcile that we may come to the table united by the power of the gospel in a way that can only be explained by Jesus. Do not let your awareness of your sin drive you away from the table. Let it drive you to the table. Draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy and help in your time of need. Come to the body and blood of Jesus. It is the only hope for sinners. Don't run away from it. Run to it. We come not as those who are sinless, but as those who have examined and found we desperately need mercy. See, if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, we would also ask that you do not partake of the Lord's Supper. As we've said already, this is for the body to proclaim the gospel. Instead, what I would ask you to do is consider that you need mercy from God. You might think, I'm good. I'm good with God. I'm good on my own. But what the Bible says is that you're a slave to sin, that you're unable to do anything on your own to make yourself right with God, and that you desperately need mercy. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus freely gives mercy to anyone who asks for it. His mercy never runs out, and he freely gives it by his grace to anyone who asks for it by faith. So don't, please, don't sit here and think to yourself, I I can make it on my own. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that leads to condemnation. But the heart of God in 1 Corinthians 11 is, I don't want anyone to perish I don't want anyone to be condemned. So come to Jesus. Admit your sin. Admit your need for him. What you're about to see as our church gathers uh, around this table, metaphorically speaking, what you're about to see as we eat this meal and eat this bread and drink this cup you're about to see a group of people that have examined themselves and what they saw is, I need Jesus. As you observe us, declare our dependence on Jesus, consider Jesus' death for sinners. Consider his sacrifice and his free offer of salvation that he is making available to you right now. And place your faith in Jesus. Don't go another day depending on yourself to make it. As you observe us, perhaps one day soon, you can join us at the table. And we can hunger and thirst for Jesus together. So now uh, we're getting ready to uh, distribute the elements. The way that we're going to do that is we're going to have um, a couple of servers here at the bottom. For those who are down here, we're going to have a couple in the balcony for those of you who are up there. While um, and, and so uh, then what we're going to do is there will be a time of singing, a time for us to examine our hearts during that song, um, and uh, as, as we sing, as we examine uh, our hearts, uh, if you would just make your way to uh, the elements, um, uh, we would ask, so just, you know, uh, as Tony, Tony mentioned, um, we are uh, taking this together in a time of a, of a pandemic. And so first of all, know that these elements were prepared with health and mind. So don't worry about that. Leave that distraction alone. Um, and then second, we would just ask um, that obviously you keep your mask on as you uh, go to the elements um, and, then, and then take it off whenever we're getting ready to partake, but also that you would just keep your distance as we make our way to the elements. Um, and so I say that now, so just as Tony so helpfully said, so that we are not distracted by those things in the moment. Uh, so we check those off now so that we can in the moment just focus on what it is that we are getting ready to do. So we're going to distribute the elements, uh, or we're going to come and and get the elements, rather. Uh, During this time, we're going to have a time of examination. And if you are, if you are a baptized member of a gospel-preaching church, if you have examined yourself, seen your sinfulness, and cast yourself on the mercy of God, if you have let the power of the gospel eliminate worldly divisions, and you are united to your brothers and sisters in a way that can only be explained by Jesus, come to the table. Remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood for you. Let's feast together on the grace of God. This Savior who is everything when we are nothing. Let's exult together in the power of the cross to save us from sin. And let's, with one voice, as one body, proclaim the Lord's death together. Let's together take the supper that is the Lord's as a body that reflects the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, as we get to take this bread and this cup that symbolizes the broken body of Your Son, Jesus, and the shed blood of Your Son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would all examine our hearts and discern the body. Lord, there is nothing that we can do to earn a place at Your table. But Lord, the good news is that Jesus already did that. And so Lord, when we come to the table, we want to come as those who have let the gospel take root in our hearts, who have been changed by the gospel, who reflect the gospel. Lord, so that as we proclaim Jesus' death together, we may say to the world, this is the power of the gospel this is the difference that christ has made in us this is what separates us not that we are better not that we've done anything but that jesus sacrificed his body jesus shed his blood and he made the difference in our lives lord as we examine our hearts i pray that you by your grace would reveal sin to us Lord, as we discern the body, I pray that you would expose where there are divisions. And Lord, I pray that in this place, right now, in this room, Lord, there would be reconciliation that was purchased by Jesus at the cross, if it is necessary. Lord, I pray that right now, in this room, there would be healing and forgiveness individually and in relationships. I pray that the power of the gospel, that we would experience the power of the gospel, and then we would come to the table and celebrate and rejoice in the power of the gospel. Lord, we love you and praise you and ask that you be honored in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.